Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Greg McElroy of ESPN will drop by in about 60 minutes to talk college football. New committee rankings are out tonight. Championship week is almost upon us. My all-ACC and all-America ballots are due or were due a while back in some cases. Our next guest talks college basketball with us. That's the main reason he's a Hall of Famer with the Sporting News and the Big Ten Network. But we pick his brain on international soccer and even the occasional college football and some hockey and some NFL and some other things. Mike DeCourcy, a belated happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. We're, of course, always thankful for your visits here on the David Glenn Show. How are you? I'm doing very well, David, and happy holidays to you and, and your terrific family. Thanks, man. Hey, we're, we're going to talk college hoops. Of course, we're all excited, especially in this part of the country. ACC Big Ten Challenge, Michigan at Louisville tonight, uh, Duke at Michigan State tonight. We get Ohio State here in Chapel Hill against the Tar Heels tomorrow, etc. But let me start you with a college football question because you are a passionate, knowledgeable sports guy beyond your main turf of college basketball. What is the right way in your eyes to decide a national champion in FBS football, given that we all celebrate what we have with March Madness to determine the college hoops champ? I've seen a lot of my colleagues this week, uh, as, as I often do in March, at the first week in March as well, uh, uh, start to talk about the uh, – the lack of necessity for the conference championship games, and this, they should just do away with it and get on with with a 18 playoff. And I'm all for the 18 playoff. And if we need to reduce the season in order to accommodate it, then by all means, let's just get rid of the 12th game. The 12th game is the worst idea that ever happened to college football. <laughs> it's a total joke. I mean, you can see it in the SEC. Uh, no one treats it as more of a travesty than they do. Uh, they, you know, they have they have uh, the the game, the rivalry game between uh, the Gators and the and the uh, Bulldogs uh, down Florida, Georgia, that the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, and basically the entire uh, third week of November for the SEC is an outdoor cocktail party because they don't play any real football. <laughs> so what's the point of that? Uh, we could it, it, they can they can afford to lose the revenue there for the money that would be gained. In, a, in an expanded, equitable tournament. And in that eight teams, there should be defined entry. Defined entry meaning if you win a conference, uh, I, I think specifically in this case would be the, the Power Five, then you would be in. Uh, and it's up to the conferences to decide whether or not uh, they continue their divisions as they do and yeah. all that. It's up to them. You know, the idea that it would be so horrible if somehow Pitt had pulled off a miracle last year and beat Clemson or Northwestern had done the same in the Big Ten, how horrible that would be for football. I mean, like, really? I mean, do we not survive it in basketball? Do we not survive it in every sport there is? But it would be so awful if one of those teams showed up in the playoffs. It's highly unlikely that it would, and if it did, it'd be like the story of the century. So stop. Stop pretending like that would be a horror. Uh, and, and make it so that we stop pretending – that that, pe that there's a group of any group of people in America that can sit in a room and tell you who the best teams are. That's a complete fantasy. I mean, after Alabama lost to LSU, there was still that group of people telling you that yeah. they were one of the five, yep. five best teams in America. And then they go out and they play Auburn and they lose. Well, wh wait a second. I thought you knew. I mean, I, I, I thought you knew. Uh, so, so, what is, so what's the value of your opinion? 
in in a in a universe where they're playing football games. So all, all you should have a defined entry into your championship, like every other sport everywhere has. Every sport in college, pro, wherever you don't get into the U.S. Open unless you in, in tennis unless or golf unless you meet these requirements. And then they maybe have a you know they have a couple of spots to see if somebody you know is injured or had a bad day or whatever. But for the most part, it's you had to do this to get in. But only college football says, well, we we know better than that. It's ridiculous. So you get those five champions. You get one group of five because you can't just wipe out half the division. You got to give them at least one team. So whoever the best of that group is, Cincinnati, Memphis, Boise, whoever. You know, there have been years where it was pretty clear, Central Florida a couple of years ago, Western Michigan, other years where maybe it's not, and you got to think a little, but one of them. And then two at-larges to cover a 13-0 and Notre Dame, to cover a, a, a really good, uh, say, Georgia or whoever uh, that's close but didn't get in. And that's a great tournament, and people would love it. Just so everybody knows, I th- and I think anybody who listens to the David Glenn Show does know, wherever passion meets thoughtfulness, I'm excited. And one of the reasons I love throwing questions like that at Mike DeCourcy that he's, is that he's passionate about it and he's also thought a lot about it. Well-informed passion, whether I agree or not, is oh, almost always agree. good content. I don't know if I raised his blood pressure unnecessarily, but now, but now <laughs> we can... agree, then you'll raise my... If you disagree, then we'll my blood <laughs> yeah, I actually almost entirely agree with everything you just said, uh, but I want to move on to college basketball. We know the ACC teams fairly well. We certainly know Duke very, very well. A couple questions about the other side as you work with the Big Ten Network and, of course, the Sporting News. Michigan at Louisville, Duke at Michigan State. There are really intriguing stories with both the Wolverines and the Spartans. Jawan Howard is, of course, a product of Michigan basketball. We know him as someone who spent 20 years playing in the NBA, roughly, six years as a Miami Heat assistant coach. And now, here he is at his alma mater. The Wolverines are off to a 7-0 start. They go from unranked to number four after beating, among others, UNC and Gonzaga on their way to the 7-0 record. What do you make, generally speaking, of the multiple layers to this cake. You know, how often are guys successful at their alma maters after playing there? How often are guys successful in major college hoops when they've never had to recruit before uh, because Juwan Howard clearly is off to a great start with the Wolverines, but, you know, he's got to prove it in the longer haul. You know, I did a column uh, from the Final Four last year sort of tying in Tony Bennett to an extent uh, because he was a former NBA player but also showing that the, 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 the direction that some, school, that some schools have gone in hiring former pros to be college coaches has been pretty risky and, 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 not, without, and, and, and not with great success in most cases. You know, Fred Hoiberg, in going from the, the Timberwolves front office to the Iowa State bench, is perhaps the only one who has been uh, – who, who came in without – significant recent college basketball experience is about the only one who has been an unqualified success. And he got to Iowa state. They started winning pretty quickly. They won his entire time there. And then he left for the bulls. Now he's back at Nebraska trying to start over again. Uh, But you look around and most of the others 
who followed a similar course. These are former players or former NBA coaches. There aren't there there really aren't aren't any hits. I mean, Chris Mullen uh, left uh, St. John's after not a successful tenure there. Uh, Patrick Ewing. Uh, I, at the time I wrote the piece, I looked at him as kind of an incomplete, and boy, he's not having a good week, is he? Uh, right. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether or not he can rescue this situation, but it's not going absolutely swimmingly. There are not very many good examples, but what I really like about what Jawan has done, first of all, he went to Michigan, like, really with open arms. I mean, he wasn't looking to cash in. He, he could have, he actually had NBA opportunities. Uh, and he wanted Michigan instead. Uh, and so it wasn't about, you know, a, a paycheck. It was about something he really wanted to do. So I liked, the, I liked his approach. And then I liked the fact that he looked at what Fred did. You know, it's all those guys who come, come from the NBA, they know basketball. They know how to coach basketball. But what they don't understand or don't seem to understand is that coaching basketball is about – you know, if you ask the average college coach what percentage of his job uh, in, in Division One, what percentage of his job is basketball, coaching basketball, X's and O's, practice plans, you know, actually practicing, running games, I bet you they'd say less than 40%. Mm-hmm. In the NBA, it's close to 100. And that's the, that 60% is what they don't get, and that's why they usually fail. But – Fred looked at it, and he went out, and he said, okay, listen, let me find somebody who's done this, and he can teach me the stuff I don't know about, and, and then we can get it done. And he, so he hired Bobby Lute, uh, who'd been terrific at Charlotte, and Bobby you know, helped him with structure and organization. And, uh, and then when Bob, it was time for Bobby to go back to NC State, Fred had a pretty good handle on what he needed to do. And so Juwan hired Phil Martelli, who had let go last March in a pretty unfortunate change at St. Joseph's, and there's no question that he's helped him with that same structure and, and process. And Juwan also has looked at his team and what was done before him, and he didn't change. He didn't have, he didn't change things for change's sake. Like I'm the new guy, yeah. so we're going to do things my way. He was following one of the great coaches in college basketball history, so borrowed some of what he was already there, maybe tweaked a few things. Uh, he obviously has a different personality, and and moved on from there. Mike DeCorsi is joining us on the David Glenn Show. ACC Big Ten Challenge tonight. Six games, actually. Michigan at Louisville, 7.30 ESPN. And then Duke at Michigan State, the nightcap, 9.30 ESPN. More great games tomorrow night. I want to ask about a fascinating guy on the Spartans team. Uh, We all know Tom Izzo well. We saw Michigan State lose to Kentucky in that uh, regular season opener and more recently out in Maui to Virginia Tech of the ACC. But the Cassius Winston story just fascinates me. You know, he was one of the best players in college basketball last year, but he stayed for his senior year. Uh, I'll ask you to explain, you know, is he just not an NBA, you know, has NBA scouts drooling guy or was it a personal decision to stay? But beyond that, just, you know, the human part of his story. I don't know all the details, but this guy is dealing with the grief of the sudden death of his young brother earlier this year. And I saw what seemed like a genuine heartfelt tears in his eyes. Thank you to basically Spartans nation at a home game earlier this year where, you know, there's things people dislike about college hoops. It's easy to celebrate what is apparently a strong four-year connection between Cassius Winston and Michigan state and Tom Izzo. 
uh, in a way that has helped this young man through, uh, I mean, great basketball moments, but truly tragic personal moments, too. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know what it's like to lose a sibling. Yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, I've got uh, four, uh, three, four siblings, three sisters and a brother, and, you know, uh, some of them, have, I'll give away the fact that some of them have reached their 60s. And, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I have a younger brother by a little, and, you know, and so I don't know what that's like. I know it's like to lose a parent unexpectedly, uh, and that's, and it's brutal. And, and so, to, but to lose a brother who's a teenager, uh, basically a teenager, maybe he had gotten to 20 uh, in, in the fashion that, they, that Cassius did. I, just, I can't even imagine how you go through that, let alone go out and play the next night. Mm. I mean, to, to, because, because I think because he felt that that would be better than, than not playing and sitting and thinking about what had happened. Uh, and and to, he's continued to play without missing a game. And and has played very well, and he's a really terrific young man. Always has been. And the reason he's not in the NBA now, he's you know he's not a, a jet quick guy. I mean, he's going to play in the NBA. Yeah. He's probably going to play in it for a long time because he really is a gifted guy. But uh, there wasn't a lot of demand for him in the NBA draft, so he chose to come back and play another year and pursue a championship and. And, and finish up his studies and all that sort of stuff. And it's a wonderful thing to see uh, that, that Michigan State has helped him through this horrible time. And, and, it, and there's no other way to describe it but to say it's been horrible for him. And he has continued to flourish on the floor, and I don't have any doubt that being a part of that organization has helped him through what hopefully will be the worst thing he ever has to deal with. Mike DeCorsi is with us. One last thing for you as we look forward to nights two and three of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. By, by sort of the, the definition of a national championship contender in the back of my head, I only see two in the Atlantic Coast Conference in Louisville and Duke. As much as I love you, the UVA story and I believed mm-hmm. in them last year, I, I don't see enough offense for the Cavaliers. I don't see the usual you know talent level for Roy Williams and Chapel Hill. My question to you is, how long is your list this year just nationally? Because it's one of those years, and you warned us in another appearance, you didn't predict Stephen F. A. Austin, Stephen F. Austin would go to Duke <laughs> and beat the Devils. You didn't predict, you know, Evansville would go to Kentucky and beat the Wildcats. Uh, maybe you didn't predict Virginia Tech would take out Sparty in Hawaii. But you, you told us that weird stuff was coming. With that in mind, does the you know the does the definition of a potential national champion change? Does that list get longer? Yeah, I think it's probably as we sit here today, it's probably as long as as I can remember at this point in the year. It will it will sort itself out some over time because teams' effectiveness will change uh, as as it goes along, and teams will become really special defensively or really special offensively or disappointing at either end and, and, and not able to sustain a likely championship challenge. Uh, but I think if you look at it, just about anybody that's got a pro has got to have a, have a shot. Yeah. I mean, anybody that you that has a dead solid lock pro like Carolina, you know, I, I see your point about Carolina, uh, maybe not as much ability as the, as usual, but we've seen teams like with one guy uh, that, that, could go a long way and and they certainly have the one guy sure and you know and they've got enough other talented guys there 
that if they put together a high-level offense uh, based on what Cole does and, and the way others play off him, and they put together a high-level defense, maybe a little harder because they're young, but Roy's a great coach, so who knows? And so I, that's the kind, that's the, at this point in the year, I would say if you're sitting there and you look at your team and you say, I know that guy's playing in the NBA. Yeah. Um, and not even necessarily like I know he's going to be a star, but I know that guy's playing in the NBA and he can affect games at the college level. I think you have to feel like your team has a shot. And there are a lot of years when you look at the like if you looked at it 2015, we looked at it five years ago uh, at the same time. You said, OK, Duke, Kentucky, Wisconsin, Arizona, one of those fours win the championship. Nobody else is in the game because they were just so far above everyone else. We don't have that this year. We won't have that this year. Makes it more fun. He's on Twitter at TSN Mike, where he is a lot of fun on life and sports and basketball and other things. Mike DeCourcy, the Hall of Famer from the Sporty News, also the Big Ten Network, again on Twitter at TSN Mike. Thanks for the visit, man. Keep up the good work. Always a pleasure, David. Love talking to you. Appreciate that. Right back at you. Greg McElroy of ESPN, live in 45 minutes on all things college football. My national ballots are due. I just voted Joe Burrow the player of the year. I think that was the Maxwell Award. I just voted Chase Young, Ohio State defensive end, for the Bednarik Award. Uh, who's your ACC coach of the year? Those ballots are due. Some say it's Dabo Sweeney because it ain't easy to go undefeated. Others say, how can you give it to the guy who has the most talent and was expected to go undefeated? Bronco Mendenhall of UVA, I think, is a great candidate. Uh, Scott Satterfield at Louisville did a great job, surprisingly so. Dave Clawson uh, at Wake Forest. Heck, he's not going to be the coach of the year, but Mac Brown getting the heels into a bowl had a pretty impressive debut part two in Chapel Hill. Player of the year in the ACC and otherwise, my ballots are due. We'll take your questions and comments. And, of course, the new committee rankings are out tonight. Where will App State be? What about Oklahoma versus Utah? How high does Baylor rise as another of the one-loss resumes still in contention? 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. I have college hoops on my mind. Four of the nation's ten best teams in my eyes, they're going head-to-head -to -head tonight. Michigan at Louisville, 7.30 ESPN. Duke at Michigan State, 9.30 ESPN. Tomorrow night's matchups, the best ones include UVA at Purdue, Ohio State at UNC. The Deeks and the Pack are also in action. Wake at Penn State. State is hosting the Badgers of Wisconsin, 1-800-849-2761. More of what I will be looking for tonight and tomorrow night with your questions and comments. The NFL is on our mind. Russell Wilson in Seattle look like Super Bowl contenders again. 37-30 over the Vikings last night on Monday Night Football. Remember, the Seahawks visit Carolina on December 15th. Your Panthers, of course, have fallen so far out of the playoff picture that the speculation continues to swirl around head coach Ron Rivera and general manager Marty Herney. Flutie Flakes are back. After a 20-year absence for the most part, I think they had a 10-year anniversary as well, but 20 years after their debut as a breakfast cereal, Flutie Flakes are back and raising money for a good cause. We asked the question, what's the best food or beverage you've ever had that was actually named after a sports figure? Top beverage, the Arnold Palmer, of course. Top food items, 
the Reggie Bar, the Ditka Dog, the Burger, the Mellow Sandwich, and a variety of other cereals, although most of them don't taste all that good. 1-800-849-2761. You can jump in on any of our topics of the day. The Canes are in Boston against the Bruins tonight. The NBA offers more of the Luka Doncic show. That hits TNT tonight with Dallas in New Orleans. The Hornets lost to Phoenix last night. The Hornets host the Golden State Warriors tomorrow night. That is usually a reason for excitement among NBA fans across our statewide audience. Just remember, these Warriors are the worst team in the NBA. Four and 18, dead last in the association. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. Greg McElroy, more college football later from ESPN, the former Alabama national championship quarterback. Your questions, comments, complaints, and sports figure food items at 1-800-849-2761. Next on the David Glenn Show. Kurt Busch is joining us, 38-year-old champion of the Daytona 500. Well, I went out with Gronk last night after uh, after we won the race. Did you really? Was, it was fun. Got about an hour's sleep. I asked him, I go, hey, when do you have to report to training camp? He goes, July. I said, well, we can't be friends because i got to <laughs> go back to racing. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Mike DeCorsi of the Sporting News in the books. A little college football, a lot of college basketball. Greg McElroy on the way. 35 minutes from now, the former Alabama quarterback, now an analyst on college football for ESPN, will drop by. The new committee rankings are out tonight. Ohio State, LSU, and Clemson, the only remaining unbeatens. Georgia, Oklahoma, Utah, and Baylor, the most compelling one-loss resumes. Remember, there's never been a two-loss team in the college football playoff. And it is extraordinarily unlikely that that streak will end this year. 1-800-849-2761. Jack in Winston-Salem has college football on his mind. Flutie Flakes are back 20 years after their debut as a breakfast cereal. And that did inspire the question of the day. What is the best food or beverage you've ever had that was actually named after a sports figure? Contemplate, if you will, on this Tuesday afternoon, a little Arnold Palmer beverage. Or I saw the suggestion to request a John Daly. Now, I don't know if John Daly has commercialized that phrase in terms of a beverage. That is certainly going to involve alcohol. I think it would be like a, a, a an Arnold Palmer on alcoholic steroids, possibly. 80-10-10 like ratio? Daly. I don't know if he has capitalized <laughs> on the John Daly beverage the way for decades the late Arnold Palmer and now his estate are capitalizing on that mix of lemonade and tea, 1-800-849-2761. The Ditka Dog, the Roethlisberger, the Mellow Sandwich, candy bars including the Reggie Bar and the Chipper Bar, but not the O. Henry. That was not named for Hank Aaron. Ocho Cinco's, OVO's, and other breakfast cereals, Flutie Flakes getting some love as well. You can be next at 1-800-849-2761. Jack and Winston-Salem, welcome to the David Glenn Show. As we speak... Athletic directors are talking to bowl executives about bowl destinations. If you're UNC athletic director Bubba Cunningham, you are a pitch man. You are saying to the tier one, as they're called, bowls for the ACC, Clemson again, assuming a win over UVA, is headed to the college football playoff. UVA would be headed to the Orange Bowl. Great, great assignment for the Cavaliers, who are 9-3 and three as they head to Charlotte and the gargantuan task of taking on those undefeated Clemson Tigers. After those two, 
there are four what are called tier one bowls. There's the Belk Bowl right here in Charlotte that I know a lot of fans really, really enjoy. There's the Pinstripe Bowl in New York City, relatively new. Not everybody loves going north in the winter. <laughs> As a longtime Philadelphia area resident, I can tell you that I am one of that group. Do not intentionally like to go north during the winter months. But New York City is a cool destination for many. The Pinstripe Bowl is also a Tier 1 Bowl. The Sun Bowl, El Paso, Texas, is not the most compelling place in my experience, but the Sun Bowl folks do know how to throw a party. And then this year, the Music City Bowl in Nashville, Tennessee, has rotated back in as a Tier 1 Bowl. What does Tier 1 mean? Well, they get first dibs. So Clemson's off to the playoff. Virginia's off in this hypothetical to the Orange Bowl. And the Belk, the Pinstripe, the Sun Bowl, and the Music City Bowl are, are on a similar plateau. They don't have a pecking order. They're all Tier 1. If they all gave ACC Commissioner John Swafford a different number one choice, this is just for fun, don't hold me to it, but let's say the Belk asked for 8-4 and four Virginia Tech because the Hokies travel well. They really bounced back after their early struggles. It's a motivated fan base to get back to a better bowl than what they were in last year. So let's say the Belk asks for Virginia Tech. The Music City there in Nashville, Tennessee, Louisville had a surprisingly successful season, 7-5, and five, under their first-year head coach, Scott Satterfield. It's a motivated, energized fan base because of some unexpected success. And remember, Nashville, Tennessee, if you know your geography, is not crazy far from the nucleus of where Louisville fans live in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. They don't all live there, but you know the deal. So maybe, maybe the Music City Bowl says, you know, our first choice is Louisville. And the Belk Bowl tells John Swafford, our first choice is Virginia Tech. And maybe the Sun Bowl says, man, I've seen that Sam Howell kid play, and I know how energized the Tar Heel fan base is. They sold out their season tickets, uh, except for some weird weather games. They filled Keenan Stadium. They're excited about the return of Mac Brown. The TV potential with Sam Howell and all that other all-ACC uh, talent on that offense. Sam Howell, by the way, third team All-ACC as announced today. Michael Carter is running back, third team All-ACC. Deami Brown, one of his wideouts, third team All-ACC. Charlie Heck, one of his offensive linemen, second team All-ACC. Daz Newsom, another of his wideouts, uh, second team All-ACC, etc. Chaz Surratt on the other side of the ball was first team All-ACC. So maybe the Sun has its eyes on the Tar Heels and the pinstripe bowl asks for somebody else. You know, it's an eight and four pit or a seven and eight, seven and five pit or an eight and four Wake Forest. If all four of those bowls have different number one requests, well, then there's just no problem. Usually more than one tier one bowl asks for the same team. And then John Swafford has to play navigator and you got to ask each bowl for their second choice, and you just try to make everybody happy. But just remember, it's not your school that gets to pick. Your school can lobby. Your school can give data about how it has traveled to other bowl games or this year's season ticket numbers or why you believe you're a motivated fan base and, you know, Florida State fans are so mad about not having a head coach right now and Boston College fans are so disappointed about, you know, another mediocre season under Steve Adazio or whatever. I mean, they're bowl-bound, Florida State and Boston College, but I can tell you nobody's beating their doors down, and nobody's beating down the doors of 6-6 six and six Miami either. That fickle fan base will get up for a really big postseason game. 
the Canes, the Eagles, and the Seminoles ain't excited right now. The Tar Heels, even though they're only 6-6, six and six, are excited right now. All of these things factor into the equation, and those are the Tier 1 Bulls. It's basically the leftovers, the Military Bowl in Annapolis, Maryland. Great destination if you've never been to the Naval Academy. The Independence Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana. I cannot recommend that as a holiday destination uh, in good faith. The Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit. They kind of get the leftovers, the, the ones that the Tier 1 Bowls don't pick. Uh, the picks of the litter, if you will, among the 10 ace, the ten bowl-eligible teams from the Atlantic Coast Conference. Jack is in Winston-Salem, and Jack is next on the David Glenn Show. He has college football in his mind. So do we. College basketball as well. More on the ACC Big Ten Challenge shortly. Jack, welcome to the show. Go right ahead. Well, good afternoon, Dave. Hey, man. Now, I do have a college uh, football playoff, well, a uh, theoretical scenario. Uh -oh. It involves the Orange Bowl. How crazy let's, are you going to get on me here? talk about Clemson somehow losing to Virginia in the ACC championship game. Oh, boy. Now, if that were to happen, I, like you, feel that there's no way they're going to make the Final Four. So, my theoretical question to you, well, there are two parts of this. Is Orange, if that were to happen, Clemson would have two more wins and two fewer losses than Virginia, could the or is the Orange Bowl bound to take the ACC champion, or because of that two-up rule, could the Orange Bowl take Clemson over Virginia because of the better record? Yeah, the Orange Bowl could take Clemson. Okay, let's say now the other side of this is the Orange Bowl doesn't take Clemson, and Virginia's going to the Orange Bowl. Could as this scenario plays out, if LSU were to beat Georgia in the SEC championship game, um, you would have Georgia with the second law, would have its second loss. Let me back Good. you up. Let me back you up a second. I'm sorry. The Orange Bowl, in your scenario, Virginia is the ACC champion. Uh, Clemson could, could Clemson, in your scenario, Virginia would be the ACC champion. Clemson could be higher ranked. At, at what would be 12 and one, then a that would be a 10 and three Virginia team, but the Orange Bowl is bound to take the ACC champion in years where the ACC's champion does not go to the college football playoff. All right. So so it'd be UVA to the Orange Bowl. So I got to back you up there. Go ahead. All right. Well then, Clemson can't go to the Orange Bowl if it loses to Virginia. Right. But let's say that does happen, and LSU beats Georgia. You see a scenario where possibly Alabama with two losses and Clemson with two losses, each to LSU. Uh, no, not – yeah, each – not that. Georgia, Georgia and Clemson would both have two losses in that scenario. Each of them would have um, – Georgia would have lost to South Carolina and LSU. Alabama would have lost to LSU and Auburn. Do you see a disappointment ball, i.e. Clemson versus Alabama in the Sugar Bowl? Uh, that would be fun. That would be a lot of fun. Um, there's too many. We, one of the reasons I hold off on so many hypotheticals is exactly this. I mean, you and I are talking each other in circles, and that means the listeners are probably have their, their eyes rolling up in the back of their heads. It is a fun-to-think-about scenario, but so many things would have to happen that I think it's an unlikely scenario. Uh, Clemson's going to beat Virginia, right? UVA is a good team. UVA is not a great team. 
And when, what we've seen is you, you, it's not hard for me to tell the difference between a true danger game and, you know, a hundred to one, if not a thousand to one long shot. When Utah plays Oregon for the Pac-12 title, that's a true danger game. Oregon is a quality football team. Now, could Utah win it? Of course. But Oregon is one of the dozen best teams in the country as well. That's a real at-risk game. Um, Ohio State, Wisconsin would call it fall kind of in between. I do think Wisconsin is pretty good. But Ohio State already played them and beat them by like 30. So I'd be shocked if the Buckeyes lost that. LSU, Georgia is a lot closer to it-could-go-either-way territory in my eyes, kind of like the Utah-Oregon game. So one of the reasons I don't like to go too far down these hypothetical roads is when the premise is so highly unlikely. I have watched Clemson play at least 10 times this year, and I've watched UVA play at least eight times this year. And I just know that UVA is not a dominating football team. They need to be like plus five in turnovers to have a chance to beat the Clemson Tigers. You know who the best quarterback on the field is? With all due respect to Bryce Perkins, it's Trevor Lawrence of Clemson who has overcome some early struggles. To He was the first team All-ACC quarterback today. Not everybody liked that because Sam Howell set all sorts of records with the Tar Heels. But, you know, to the winners go the spoils, as the old saying goes. Clemson was 12-0. Trevor Lawrence was a big part of that. He's the first team All-ACC quarterback. Bryce Perkins led UVA to its first Coastal Division title ever and a trip to the ACC title game, and he was a, a, the best dual-threat quarterback in the ACC. So Sam Howell of Carolina slides to third, and poor Jamie Newman at Wake Forest, who had a heck of a year, didn't even make first, second, or third team. I, I didn't even look to see if he was an honorable mention to all-ACC guy. Maybe he was. But that's a heck of a quarterback to finish essentially fourth at that position. What I'm getting at is the best running back on the field is going to be Travis Etienne of Clemson. The best wide receiver on the field is going to be T. Higgins of Clemson. The best offensive linemen on the field are going to be on the Clemson side. The best defensive linemen are going to be on Clemson side. The best UVA player, Bryce Hall, is out for the season with an injury. I mean, miracles do happen, but I've been to each of these Clemson trips to the ACC title game the last several years. I'd say maybe, maybe one time. What's Dabo have now? Five ACC titles? I think maybe one of those five was a close game. Otherwise, I mean, I remember hearing from Miami fans the year that I told them, y'all are going to, y'all might lose by 40. And I had to hear for weeks, you know, for what, two weeks or whatever it was about how I was overestimating the Tigers and underestimating the Hurricanes. Well, no, I don't think so. Uh, same situation here. I respect what UVA has done, but Clemson is several touchdowns better than the Cavaliers. 1-800-849-2761. More on the other side. How many guys will Mike Krzyzewski play tonight at the Breslin Center where I'm telling you Michigan State does not get to host Duke all that often? And that place is going to be rocking for Tom Izzo and Cassius Winston and the Spartans. I think Duke is one of the handful of teams with the highest ceiling in all of college basketball. I think they and Louisville give the ACC its best chance of ending up in the Final Four or chasing yet another NCAA title. More on those matchups tonight in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, Michigan at Louisville, Duke at Michigan State, with more of your phone calls. NFL, college football, ACC Big Ten Challenge. The Hurricanes are headed to Boston to face the Bruins tonight. The NBA offers Carmelo Anthony as the player of the week 
for the first time in five years. More on those headlines with more of your calls next on The David Glenn Show. Rob Schneider joining us on The David Glenn Show. When they try to have three days of the NFL draft on TV, my friends said, hey, you going to watch the NFL draft? I like getting excited about a strip club that's still under construction. <laughs> like you see that building over there in a couple of months? There's going to be some breasts in there. You're listening to The David Glenn Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. One quick thing on the ACC Big Ten Challenge from my perspective. Night two of three. Last night it was Miami over Illinois, Minnesota over Clemson. Those are kind of lightweight matchups, so it stands as one apiece as we head into tonight's game. Two highlights Michigan at Louisville, also Duke at Michigan State. Those are four of the ten best teams in the country in my eyes. That's your doubleheader on ESPN. Again, tomorrow night's highlights include UVA at Purdue, Ohio State at UNC, and others of local note, Wake at Penn State, NC State hosts the Wisconsin Badgers, 1-800-849-2761. Looking back quickly, congrats and a shout-out to Jim Laranaga of the Miami Hurricanes. He got career win number 650 last night among active Division I men's basketball coaches. The UM uh, leader is in the top 10. Speaking of great coaches, we get to see two of the older dudes, Mike Krzyzewski and Tom Izzo, go head-to-head. And two of the relative newcomers, at least to the uh, to their current posts, Chris Mack of Louisville takes on the first-time head coach at any level, Juwan Howard of the Michigan Wolverines. From the ACC perspective, I'm curious to see how many guys Mike Krzyzewski plays tonight at the Breslin Center. Coach K, and I've been covering him since 1987, he tends to, especially as the season goes on, really pare back his rotation a lot. He usually gets to the point where he, of course, trusts his five starters to play a lot of minutes. And then a lot of years, there's one or two guys off the bench getting double-digit minutes, and that's it. And number eight and number nine or number ten, they might be asked to do something in a certain game or a certain circumstance, or they might get spot minutes here or there. But Coach K tends to really pare down his rotation, and this year has been the exception to that. If you have watched the Blue Devils play, I know it's early, but Vernon Carey Jr.'s the freshman star center, like 18 points, 10 rebounds a game. He is among, along with Cole Anthony, the point guard at Carolina. They're clearly two of the best freshmen in college basketball, period. So Trey Jones is back for his sophomore year, of course. He's a new and improved version of himself, especially offensively. You can see the work he's done in the offseason. Cassius Stanley is hurt right now, but to me, already a fantastic debut as a two-way player for Mike Krzyzewski. He's also played fellow freshman Matthew Hurt and Wendell Moore Jr. quite a bit. And he's also played the veterans, Joey Baker, Alex O'Connell, Javin Delorier, Jordan Goldwire, Jack White. I mean, that's a 10-man rotation. I think, given that Coach K just said, yeah, I know we're ranked number 10 in the nation, but we might not even be a top 25 team right now. That's Coach K. They lost at home to Stephen F. Austin. Now, we all know that in terms of their ceiling, they're not only a top 25 team, they are a top 10 team. But Coach K certainly has a track record of his teams getting better as the season goes along, so he sees a lot of questions in his own team, and that's why he said, we might not be a top 25 team right now. There is no way if you lack that confidence in your own guys right now. doesn't mean you're going to be down on them forever. You're just kind of speaking off the cuff or maybe planting a, a psychological seed, who knows, 
But Duke is 7-1. and one. Duke takes a number 10 ranking to Michigan State. Sparty is only 5-2, and two, but that place will be rocking like Duke rarely sees in regular season road games. I mean, they see it in Chapel Hill every year. Not a lot of non-conference road trips like this one against a fellow national contender in a place where Spartans fans can wait a generation and not see an opportunity like this against the national profile Blue Devils. Will he play? It won't be the 10-man rotation because of injuries, but will he play nine? Does he trust nine guys that much? Because one thing I'm watching as a theme of the season, if you're Roy Williams, you know who Cole Anthony is, you know who Garrison Brooks, your veteran big man, is, and you love how your freshman center Armando Baycott is coming along. There is no way you fulfill your dreams if that list remains at three guys. Roy Williams has to see come along some combination of veteran guard Brandon Robinson, who's back from injury, the transfers Justin Pierce and Christian Keeling, who haven't been great yet but could get better, Andrew Playtech, Leaky Black, whoever. They need to be better versions of themselves or the ceiling is not nearly as high for UNC in the long run. Same with UVA. Mama D. Diakite is the real deal. Jay Huff and Kihei Clark have proven themselves. Braxton Key is a good player who's hurt right now. They need other dudes to show they can be good. When Virginia was only elite defensively but didn't have a well-rounded group of offensive weapons, it had very good years but always crashed and burned in the NCAA tournament. When they finally had the well-rounded offensive options to go with that elite defense, they won the national championship. Carolina needs more than their current big three. UVA needs more than its healthy big three. And Duke needs more than Vernon Carey plus Trey Jones plus an injured Cassius Stanley. How many of those guys does Coach K have enough faith in to play a lot of minutes at the Breslin Center in front of that crazy crowd when he doesn't want to fall to 7-2? and two? That is among the things I'll be watching as two of the modern greats, Tom Izzo and Mike Krzyzewski, go head-to-head 9.30 tonight on ESPN. Greg McElroy on college football in 10 minutes. Your calls, too, on the David Glenn Show. Mac Brown of the University of North Carolina. We got to win now. Let's don't start looking at rebuilding. Let's don't talk about how bad we are. Let's don't talk about we're not better than anybody. Let's figure out how to win. And that's what we've done. And, and the Coastal, because it's been up in the air every year, why shouldn't we have a chance? Keep it dialed in to the David Glenn Show. What's the most important thing Greg McElroy is looking for with the college football playoff committee rankings tonight? Where will Oklahoma, Utah, and Baylor be in the pecking order as one-loss teams? And what will happen to the current undefeateds if they lose in their conference title games? Are they all automatically out? Greg McElroy of ESPN and the SEC Network, the former Alabama quarterback, joins us next on The David Glenn Show. Mike Lupica, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Sports used to be called the toy department, and I said, look at the political scene, and, and, and tell me that's any more real or, or more serious than what we see when people say, oh, stick to sports. Who we'll, we'll passed that law? You're listening to the David Glenn Show.